you know, when I walk in that building of the school, I'm going to have an opportunity to positively, positively change lives every single day. And, and it may be a conversation, maybe just passing a kid in the hallway, um, but find that ministry that you just, you know, is for you, you love and you can grow in it um, because then it becomes very rewarding. Someone told me that, you know, when you can turn your back and walk away for 15 minutes and the kids stay in stride and they don't miss a beat, that's when you know you've reached them. As educators, we have a responsibility to continue to grow, to get better, to constantly change and adapt to the times. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. As always, I appreciate you so much for tuning in and for being part of the club. If you haven't joined as a free member yet, which at this point is just getting silly to believe, go ahead and hit that link in the show notes. It'll take you about 90 seconds. And if you want to leave a rating or a review on the podcast, that'd be pretty cool too. I'm not saying I notice when you don't leave a rating, but I definitely notice when you do. And trust me, it's always appreciated. Thanks so much for supporting the High School Coaches Club. And thanks also to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. They specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for baseball, softball, football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and of course, so much more. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, and dugout cubbies. Netting Professionals continues to provide quality products and services to many recreational high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and courses throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They are awesome. You've got to check them out. Trust me, once you do, you'll never go to anyone else. Huge thanks to Will and the gang at Netting Pros for powering up episode 28 of the High School Coaches Club. We're heading back into the administrative side, this time with Athletic Director Roger Zerwinski. Zerwinski takes us through a handful of different stops along his coaching journey, how he kind of accidentally fell into the athletic director world and a couple of other worlds along the way, what it was like being an athletic director and a head baseball coach at the same time, and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Let's get it rolling. It's episode 28 with Roger Zerwinski. All right, I'm joined here by Roger Zerwinski. Roger, thanks so much for coming on this morning. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. I, we, we talked off air and uh, you were actually recommended uh, through a third party that I, I haven't even met him either. And so it's, it's, we were just talking, it's been a cool experience getting to meet all these people that otherwise uh, I'd have no connection to at all. No, and that's what's neat about today's technology is just that opportunity to network and grow and constantly get better and learn different ways. And uh, so it's been awesome to, to be able to connect. Yeah, it has been. It's been really cool. And uh, we'll get to know you a lot over the course of the, the episode, I'm sure, and, and get to hear about your your life and the different stops you've had, just kind of what, what I've you know learned about you before this and, and the different places you've been. It seems like you've gotten a chance to kind of move move to quite a few different areas. Um, if you were going to pick one, one spot, let's take like coaching and, and career out of it, of the places that you've been, like let's say you're going to retire somewhere and you, you it's fair game. You can go wherever you want of the places you've been. Where would you, where would you go? Well, I'm originally from South Florida. So I was born and raised down there. 
moved up to the Baltimore area for a short time. And uh, our families lived in the Red Lion, Pennsylvania area, or again, South Central PA for the last uh, 19 years, just about. Um, but about four years ago, we bought a little camper down in Chincoteague, Virginia. And so hopefully in 10, 12 years from now, when we were able to retire, uh, we get down to Chincoteague a little more and spend time down there where it's a little more relaxing and uh, just a nice, quiet atmosphere that we can uh, enjoy enjoy life, I guess. That's awesome. I've been to Pennsylvania. I've been to Maryland. I've been to Florida, but I've never been to Virginia. So there you go. Well, it's it's about 45 minutes from Ocean City. And, and if you know anything at all or heard anything about Ocean City, it's real hectic and uh, quite busy, similar for me to uh, Fort Lauderdale. But Chincoteague is its own little world. There's a little NASA um, grounds there where we get to watch the rockets launch. Um, I get the opportunity to go to on a boat and do some fishing, and my wife goes to the beach, and uh, it's very quiet, um, serene area, I'll say. Uh, it sounds like the opposite lifestyle from what an athletic director normally lives in his daily life. Well, especially now with COVID. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it, it's in the best part of our campground is that we have no signal on our phones most of the time, so – um, I can't get uh, that ring or that text at uh, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning or 9, 10 o'clock at night without problems. So that's the best part. Yeah, so that's a really good deal. I found that to be both really calming and stressful as a coach of, of being able to kind of shut the phone off basically and not be reachable. And then there's that part like deep-seated within me that's like, but what am I coming back to when I return to this? <laughs> well, that's exactly what it's like. And, you know, it's nice to shut down, but Every now and then I got to go over to the island where I get signal and catch up on emails or text or phone calls. And, uh, but that's the life. And, uh, you know, that's the exciting part of it, but that's also sometimes the nerve wracking part is you really, you don't get the downtime and don't get a break. Um, you know, so there, there certainly are, are pros and cons to that. Yeah. So you mentioned South Florida is kind of where the story starts. So can you take us back to like your high school playing days and just walk us through like where you were, what you played, that sort of thing? Absolutely. Uh, again, I'm from a town called Pompano Beach. Uh, it's a little bit north of, of Fort Lauderdale, a little bit south of Boca Raton. Uh, I was born and raised there, went to a high school in Fort Lauderdale called Cardinal Gibbons High School. Uh, our high school program was quite competitive. Um, There's a, a, a good number of players from that area that have been drafted and had a lot of talent and moved on. During my senior year, I finally had an opportunity to start on our team. And from there, I really didn't have any options to go to college. And so when uh, we went to our Christmas camp up in Cocoa Beach, uh, I met a coach named Mike Harris. I uh, was with the White Sox and was an assistant coach at Palm Beach Atlantic College. Um, and he opened his door to me and we, we ended up spending some time in the dorms and um, seemed to be a natural fit, a small Christian college in West Palm Beach, NAIA school. Um, and again, at that point, it was my only option. Um, so I decided to go there. I committed there. Uh, I went to PBA as a freshman um, and sophomore. My freshman year, I tore my ACL actually the first night of our fall scrimmage. So I was in a, I was in a knee brace my freshman year. I uh, played a little bit of first base. I'm um, left-handed, so I didn't. I was kind of only certain options. Sophomore year, uh, I was converted more into a pitcher. And after my second outing on the mound, things started to open up. Um, we faced a school called Flagler College. They were number one in the country. At that time, I, was, I threw a no-hitter, uh, so we got a win there. And then I ended up winning uh, three of my next four starts, uh, two against nationally ranked teams, again, NAIA. But what happened, everything turned for me. On a, on a Friday night, I threw against a school called St. Thomas down in uh, South Florida. And... 
the following Tuesday, we played Florida Atlantic University, and I begged our coach, even though I'd thrown a complete game on Friday, to just let me throw a little bit on Tuesday. And so uh, Tuesday we went to FAU. Uh, I got to throw two innings, uh, recorded five strikeouts. And just as a fluke, I picked up the phone on Wednesday morning and called Coach McCormick, the assistant coach, recruiting coordinator at the time, and said, hey, I threw against you guys last night. I'm wondering if you have any need for a left-handed pitcher. And he said, Raj, uh, you can come as a preferred walk-on. We don't have any money for you. I can't make any promises, but uh, we'd love to have you if you're interested. And I'd always had that dream of, of being at the highest level, so to say. Um, and that door opened that night or that morning. And um, I went to FAU, spent uh, two years there, my junior, senior year, uh, as a relief pitcher, started a couple times, had an amazing experience. And uh, that kind of writes my, my playing days. I wasn't good enough to uh, get drafted. Uh, I did go to a few tryouts. Um, and I, I decided immediately to put my coaching hat on and, and jumped right in that ring. Literally, before I even graduated from FAU, I started coaching down in the, in the South Florida area. So those are kind of my playing days, high school days. And then, then it jumped into the, the fun world of coaching. It's, it's such a cool story because there's like three parts to it. There's you didn't start at your you said your high school is competitive, but and, and then you didn't start till your senior year. So for a lot of kids like today, the idea of not starting till your senior year would would seem to pretty much cement the fact that, well, you're not going to play in college. And then you go and you do play in college and then you're like you mentioned, you're going to play uh, and plan to play and then you get hurt. And then you kind of make a transition move and then you end up being pretty good and kind of begging your coach. And I don't know how many coaches today would would allow a player to do that. They'd probably just be like, no, it's not going to happen. And you, you beg your coach, he lets you pitch and then pick up the phone, call FAU the next day and and you get a yes. Uh, there's a lot of like cool lessons in that story for, for coaches and players, really. Well, and, and it's one of those that uh, I knew – uh, none of my family had gone to college. I was the first one that was going to go. I was driven that I knew I had to pay for it. Uh, so um, kind of the old cliche of uh, I was fortunate enough to have that intrinsic motivation and drive to do everything I could to to put myself in a good situation. And then on top of it, I believe everything happens for a reason and just the right place, the right time, whether it be um, up at Coco Expo Camp where I met Coach Harris or whether it be um, I got injured and turned into a pitcher or whether it be I had the opportunity to throw against FAU. It just everything, everything came from from above. And, uh, you know, I, ha I have strong faith that um, I was it was meant to be, I'll say. So, yeah, it was it, was, it is pretty interesting and convoluted, uh, but it certainly paid off for the best. And, and while at FAU, we faced FSU, Miami, Florida. We had some let's face some pretty, pretty talented teams down there. Well, and it gives you kind of, um, I don't know, an inlet to be able to talk to student athletes and even their coaches too, but especially as your role as like a coach um, and athletic director to be able to like talk to teenagers today and be a source of maybe not inspiration for them, but just you can, you can rely back on your own experiences. And by using the experiences you had, you can kind of help kids through some things that they're going through that may think. You know, as a teenager, we think that a lot of things are the end of the world yeah. and uh, you can rely back on your experiences to help some kids with that. Of like, well, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe this is just one one click in your story. And, and that's the thing is, is whether it's, you know, my story or pulling another story of a, a, another individual who's had success. It's always nice as 
in my role as an AD that when I sit down and talk to kids and we talk about their goals and their future and, you know, what they have to do to, to get there, um, I can certainly relate. And, and not many kids, well, many people are not blessed. They just grow up, at, you know, with a plethora of talent. A lot of people have to work for it. And certainly I can, you know, put in the, you know, the, the push for the weight room or push for academics or and even with my own children, I do the same thing. And um, certainly um, it, it's been very rewarding. And, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about previously was, you know, what's rewarding about my role. Um, and, and I can tell you whether it be as a coach or an AD, the most rewarding is seeing younger students uh, when, when I first meet them and in, in right now they're in middle school and then watching their growth through that four five, six year period. And then, following up with them after college or after they've been out for a few years just to see that growth. And hopefully we, we were able to connect and teach some life lessons and uh, um, really push them in the right direction. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty rewarding. Yeah. So let's get into your role right now. So you're, you're an athletic director. Can you tell us where you are, uh, how long you've been doing it, uh, what the, what the school district is like, kind of get into that sort of stuff. Sure. I kind of, I kind of fell into this role. It's kind of funny going back to even my own upbringing. It's uh, with my playing days, I moved to Baltimore area um, right after graduating a year after I graduated college and um, started in a public school, Baltimore city public school was there a year and then went to a private school, actually, ironically, Cardinal Gibbons, similar to my uh, high school name. And within the first three months of being there, the principal came to me and said, hey, the athletic director quit. Would you have any interest? At that point, I, to be honest, we didn't even know what the role entailed. I was a teacher. I was the head of the middle school and I was a coach and said, sure, let's throw that hat on. And um, so I did that for three years. Uh, the school got in a little bit of financial trouble, eventually closed. Um, I left and went to another private school where I became the dean of students. And talk about the most rewarding role I've ever had. Uh, coaching certainly is up there, but the dean of students where uh, I was the heavy or I was the bad guy, but I embraced that role into teaching, again, life lessons and trying to show kids the right way. And when they were making mistakes and uh, we were able to guide them, that was really, really cool. Uh, but then um, our family moved to Pennsylvania and um, making the commute each way uh, about 60 miles, leaving at 5 a.m., getting home at 9 p.m. It just wasn't working because we had a, my son was two at the time. So um, my wife encouraged me to try to find a job local in Pennsylvania. Uh, there was a, an athletic director opening and I applied and lo and behold, um, they hired me and, and I was able to start at West York. Uh, and I was there nine years and I'll get into that a little bit more why I left. Um, then I went to a larger school for five years and then I switched literally 13 months ago to a, a smaller school that I really, really am enjoying right now. And, uh, hopefully I can finish my career there, but uh, I'm in charge of 66 teams, uh, about 700 uh, student athletes, ranging from grades 7 through 12. Uh, due to my role, I'm not uh, coaching currently. I'm not teaching currently. In Pennsylvania, most athletic directors are full-time ADs, uh, and most of them do not coach and or, or teach. So um, my typical day is I go in the morning, uh, get there bright and early, and then I stay at athletic events are over. I'm the game manager. Um, behind the scenes, I'm the one that does coordination of transportation, officials, hiring, firing of coaches, uh, student leadership, academics. Uh, so a whole slew of things. Um, but again, the most rewarding part is just that opportunity to see kids grow and follow their dreams, and uh, whether that be college or whether that be a workforce. And uh, so that's that's my current role right now, Max. 
Well, it's uh, it's it's a lot to handle. I know. I just seeing our athletic director and how much time he spends at school or you know at athletic events, both home and away. Uh, especially now when you you toss in COVID and everything that's come along with that. Just the, the the from the outside looking in, the life of an AD right now looks tremendously stressful. Well, I I will say this: it's kind of funny you say it like that. When when you started that. Uh... This semester, I had my first ever intern, high school intern, and um, he started with me in January. And, and about the first week, the conversations were all about, well, I, all I thought you did was stand at athletic events and, and watch everybody <laughs> wear the mask. And, you know, I'll say this. we About a year ago, I wrote a whole course uh, for my certification uh, about, you know, an introductory athletic director course. And, and what happened was I had reached out to a slew of, local ADs, uh, veterans, and, and trying to find a guide. And, and so what I've done is create this, and I rely on this to guide my own self. But in a non-COVID year or non-COVID situation, it, it is so enjoyable. Um, you get back and, again, watch the watch kit. You know, I, I have a responsibility of educating my coaches and making sure they're getting getting what they need and, and, and transformationally coaching our kids. But with COVID right now, I, I just got over a winter literally last week and honest to goodness, Max, I, I was the mask police and, and one of yeah. three ADs in our league that really enforced our health and safety plan. And it was extremely frustrating just because while everybody has it in their plan, uh, there's different levels of enforcement. And, you know, I'm a firm believer if we're going to put it in writing and the expectations are we follow it, then then I'm going to be that person to follow it. So the good to that is we successfully finished the winter season safely. I uh, had no shutdowns of my own teams. The bad to that is the uh, constant stress of, of stopping games, uh, specifically basketball or wrestling matches, to bring coaches together, officials together to, to talk about the rules and reminders. But uh, it was very rewarding at the end. My Both of my basketball teams made it pretty far. We had some ref, wrestlers advance, and our bowling team made it well. And then literally Friday night, we had a young man uh, place in the state championships in swimming. So we just ended our – uh, winter sports season Friday night, um, and it was really rewarding to get through it successfully, both on the courts and mats, but but knowing that we did it safely and um, we put our the safety at the forefront of all everything we did. Yeah, the bringing kids back and getting into uh, sporting events and everything like that. You're it, it is it is a challenge because I find myself constantly, I mean, and I'm just constantly, hey, pull your mask up, hey, get your mask back on, hey, your mask needs to be on. It's like you, and the kids are just so excited that, and they're kids. So they're going to, they're going to do whatever, you know, whatever leeway you give them basically. But, oh my gosh. Yeah. I I'm excited to, uh, to enjoy uh, coaching and teaching when all of this is kind of over. And I think hopefully we'll all kind of you know, maybe not take it, take it for granted so much and, and try to enjoy it at, a little bit more. It's <laughs> all the mask and, and they stay six feet apart and all that stuff is done. Uh -huh. but, uh, it's been crazy. You mentioned, um, well, go for it. Go for it. No, I'll just say one thing that, that I learned that I don't think is going anywhere, at least in my role, is if you'd have told me back in June or July of last year that I'd become the YouTube expert, I'd have, I'd have laughed. They would tell me I don't have the technology to do it. But one of the nice things that's come from is all the live streaming. Now, that being said, though, we could be in the middle of a basketball game or a wrestling match and the phone starts dinging and vibrating that parents or administration that are watching contests are texting me, Hey, you know, such and such doesn't have their mask on properly. So mm -hmm. you know, I think the funny part is 
uh, we learned a lot through this, um, but I, I also think it's uh, comical that by, by using technology to a little more advanced level, it created a little more stress in our world as ADs as well. So, but I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I, I wanted to put that point in. That I thought it was funny that how things have evolved in the last year. Yeah, they've evolved a ton. I think there's some stuff that will, that'll be good that comes out of this. You mentioned technology is certainly a big piece. Um, I think the ability to stream games, I think Absolutely. a lot of teams or schools or districts have, you know, maybe invested some money or even not, you can just have a parent with a phone really and stream it or whatever. But I think, I think that part's going to be really nice because you'll get the chance for, you know, grandparents who might live in Alaska or whatever, get a chance to see their, their grandson play and things like that. I think, and then I think as a coach, like the as much as I am absolutely zoomed out right now, I think in future years, you know, the ability to use Zoom uh, can definitely speed some things up that in the past maybe took a lot longer. Um, but yeah, there's there's some parts that are nice, but yeah, there's some parts that that are uh, we're, we're tired of them. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I agree, and, and and our coaches are feeling the same. I can tell you because we're we're still not allowed to meet in person, so um, it's it's time to pass with it. So, Well, you mentioned earlier uh, when you were kind of discussing some of your, your roles as an athletic director, that one of them is helping to educate, educate coaches. I think for a lot of ADs that, that ends up being kind of on the back burner because there's like, I mean, there's so much involved in, in being an athletic director and being a coach and that the part about kind of educating your coaches and helping them become better uh, is something that I think some athletic directors and school districts kind of struggle with. Um, and it's easy to just move on from a coach or, or whatnot instead of really focusing on educating the ones that you have. So what types of things do you do to help? I mean, I guess what falls under that umbrella of, of educating coaches? Well, the one of the things that, that I'm, I'm hopeful of is that our coaches are members of the national organizations, uh, specifically like myself. I'm still a member of ABCA. I watch YouTube constantly just trying to get better. Um, you know, currently I'm coaching a travel team and, you know, if I'm, if I become complacent, I'm, I'm no good to my kids. And so what I try to do as a role model is point out to my, my coaches that nowadays there's YouTube, there's, you can look anywhere and get drills for free. Um, and the goal is that we're constantly adapting and changing. And, um, the nice thing is, is, is with a high school program is it could change year to year the type of defensive scheme you have or offensive scheme or um, the type of role that, that certain kids play. So I just encourage them to be involved. Um, I know in my former district, uh, we would pay for, for professional development, and there's a lot of clinics and camps in our region that coaches go to. Um, and in my current district, we don't pay for that, so I encourage them to go. Um, sometimes it's, it's, um, it's a little more of a push than it is encouraging. Um, but I, I think as, as educators, we have a responsibility to continue to grow, to get better, to, to constantly change and adapt to the times uh, for the betterment of our kids. And to be frank, when I did my uh, presentation last year in, in, in May for certification, I probably spent roughly 20 hours myself just watching videos on transformational leadership, transformational coaching, uh, leadership courses, how to implement effective plans. And so, again, what I do is, is try to use it as a role model for my coaches. Um, and then, you know, when I'm sending out daily quotes or sending out videos of encouragement, my hope is that, um, that they take that and run with it. And, again, I started at this role 13 months ago at this school. So I haven't been there long enough, and I certainly haven't been there in a non-COVID setting. Uh, but once we get into COVID setting, it's just going to be really hammered down the, 
the need for growth and development, not only for our kids, but also for our coaches to, to continue to stay up with it. Um, you're the coach. You understand that it's not just X's and O's anymore. You're helping a kid get to college. Sometimes you're helping a kid, you know, we may have situations where kids you know, may not have a warm meal at dinner at time. We have, we have so many other roles and hats we all wear nowadays. Then you throw COVID on top. Right now, I just think it, it's a touchy subject in, in, a, in a path that's a struggle to walk down just because um, I don't want to push coaches out by demanding too much, but I want to work with them and kind of guide them into that, um, that phase of development. Yeah, the professional development side of coaching is huge. And like you mentioned, that as a, as a head coach, it's, I don't know if 10% might be a high number, but maybe 10% of your job is actually, you know, coaching per se, like on a field or in a, in a gym, like what you mentioned. So much of what we're doing, and likewise, similar to you as an athletic director and the intern you mentioned, who's like, I thought you just stood at the, sort of the sidelines and watched games. It's like, that's, a, it's such a small part of what, you know, as educators and coaches and athletic directors that we're actually doing. And so, yeah, I think anything we can do to make sure we're taking care of kids beyond just what they can do for us on a field is is so incredibly important. And like you mentioned, the the idea of being a transformational coach is, um, I mean, it's everything, I think. And that's what I live my life values around right now. And, and you know, I, I changed probably about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and really embraced that. And change some of my my coaching techniques and tactics and, and try to do the same as an administrator that you know it's more about caring for kids loving kids and and just the pure joy that i get more i get now more than before is is what i what i thrive on every single day so um i would definitely agree so let's backtrack a little bit you mentioned you were the dean of students many years ago and uh I have never been a dean of students or a behavioral specialist or whatever other name that schools want to make up for it. And, uh, you know, again, from the outside looking in, it's like the idea of like your job's going to be like a kid gets in trouble and they come to you. And so from the outside, it's like, well, that sounds like a horrible thing to do. Like, it just sounds like every day is going to be really awful and sad and I'm going to be really depressed. Um, you, you mentioned a little while ago that it was one of the most amazing parts of your career. Can you tell us like, what was that like? What did you do? Uh, and why was it such a big, a big, you know, learning lesson or, or, or opportunity for growth for you? Sure. I, it was a, it is a Catholic school, about 600 boys in Baltimore city. And, um, first of all, it, it, it being a, a Catholic school, the priests are there. A lot of them are on, on campus and, and I had the opportunity to work with them directly, but, my role, I taught three geometry classes a day, and I was dean of students the rest of the time. And part of that role that was mandated, which I, I really loved, and, and now that I, I'm out of it, I, I, I even more wish I did it, but it was every single day in the periods that I was off, we would walk the halls and peek into classrooms. Just the teachers knew that we were there. Kids knew that we were there. And there was just a presence that we're there to support you. And so in my role, I would deal with anything from not having a tie all the way up or not having a shirt tucked in to tardiness to class, tardiness to school. Uh, we didn't have many fights. Um, we probably in my five years had uh, maybe 15, 20, um, which, which sounds like maybe a lot, but it, it wasn't the fight like a, a full-blown brawl. Um, but, you know, whether it's, whether it's the tie or whether it's tardiness, um, what I used that role for, and again, for me, the most rewarding part was just saying in life, the expectations are blank. 
you're going to you're going to be required to meet these expectations. And I, and I didn't do it to hammer kids. We had a demerit system. Um, and one of those, if you got five demerits, you had a Saturday detention. My goal was to work with the kids and educate and teach them and say, these are the expectations. These are the rules. And to be frank, we're going to follow them. And for kids that don't, you know, sometimes we had to let a few kids go. But I just enjoyed getting to know the kids. And, and the conversation would come in. A, a student would come in. And, and I'd, I'd talk before we talked about the demerit or whatever it was. We'd talk about what's going on at home or what are their goals or what do they enjoy in life. And then this way, the whole conversation could turn into, all right, in order to get to point B, your goal, this is what we need to do. And, and I want to be part of that process. And so what can I do to help you be part of that? Now, eventually, most situations, they got the demerit or Saturday detention or whatever. But then when I would walk up to the kids in the lunchroom or on the athletic fields or in class, it wasn't a, a, a bully or mean guy situation. It was, hey, this guy's pretty cool. He wants to work with us and help us out. Um, but we have to do our part as well. And so, you know, that was extremely rewarding. And again, knowing it was Baltimore City, all males, um, a lot of times I became the role model for those kids. Uh, maybe they didn't have a, a, you know, a father at home or maybe their parents were working so much just to pay for their private school education that I, I felt as though I lent a hand in that, that development building process of their life that I just thoroughly enjoyed. I, I loved going to work every single day, knowing that I would help, I'd be able to help kids. And again, there were kids that were in sad situations that we were able to you know, provide housing or we'd be able to provide meals or we'd be able to provide clothes or, or whatever. And, and they were just so thankful and grateful that we were there for them. And so it was, it was a, a really cool experience. And um, I learned a lot about myself at that point. And that's where uh, you know, I, I started to, to transform my own educational philosophies and growth to, to it not being a job, but it being something I love doing, helping kids and, you know, assisting in their development. It's awesome. It sounds a lot like coaching, really, to be honest, because you're what I'm hearing is that you had to make sure that you built a relationship with a kid, make connections with a kid before you, you know, on a, on a, on a field before you start you know, coaching a kid or in the, as a dean of students before you, you know, whatever discipline, whatever word we want to use. But it's like you're trying to build that relationship, make those connections so that you can have a good relationship. And then from there, we can we can figure out what we need to do. Like you mentioned, if it's a food issue or a home issue or just uh, a disconnect between where they want to go as point B and the decisions they're making now. And it just I imagine that that experience, whether you've maybe thought about it or not, I imagine it, it influenced you as a coach or as an athletic director as well. There's no doubt. And, and again, that's where, you know, reality set in as a life this, in my life that this is what I want to do. This is what my ministry in life is. This is my mission. And it really started there. Um, I, I, and I think, you know, at that point I was um, I was late 20s um, into my 30s. And so I was starting to grow professionally and personally. And, um, you know, I'd had a few other jobs and experiences, but but the leaders I had there, the priests that we had there were just they were awesome, you know, and, 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 and I would make mistakes. I would tell kids the wrong things sometimes, and, and they were there to support me as well, the administration. And so we really worked through some things. And, and I had a, an unbelievable principal that uh, was the role model there that um, uh, really, really helped me, uh, especially that first transition of six months of learning a job. And he was previously the, the uh, dean of students. And so um, he did a great job kind of, kind of mentoring me. You said you, you sometimes made mistakes. Did you ever find yourself maybe admitting that to a student? 
Oh, I, I absolutely. I think that's important that w whether it's the student, whether it's to the family, we even nowadays, you know, I'll admit we, we've had several situations with COVID right now that I've, I've had to call parents back and say, hey, listen, you know, I goofed up and uh, here, here's the reality. And, and you know what I found, Max, is that if you're sincere and you're honest with parents and or kids, um, they're more accepting than if you try to brush it under the rug and say, well, it wasn't my fault. Um, but again, I think that's a life skill we all teach as coaches, educators, administrators, that we're human too. And, um, you know, we're trying to do the best we can. And, you know, sometimes it, it may take a little longer to get information or we're, you know, the information we get is misleading. But yeah, I, I, I believed in that honest part that, um, you know, was, was part of the job as well. Yeah. We're in a, we're in this spot in society where everybody kind of wants to put the blame on someone else and yeah. something goes wrong. It's like, who, who can I blame for this? Because I don't want to take the blame for it. And even when it isn't necessarily your fault, sometimes if we just take the blame for it or just take ownership of it and say, Hey, it fell under my umbrella. This is my problem. Uh, here's what we're going to do moving forward. Like the respect you get from people when you do that, I think is, is far worth more than the, whatever you lose by right. accepting blame for something that you did or didn't do. And I think, you know, to your point, I think even more, it's more important to our students to see that you're human and you make mistakes, but you, you own up to those than it is sometimes to our parents. And, um, you know, again, I think they, they, gain a, they gain a greater respect and, and trust for you as well. Because, I mean, ultimately, let's go back to relationships. It's all about trust, and that's where it starts. And, um, you know, if, if you can say, hey, I'm human or I screwed up, um, they're going to respect you a little more and trust you moving forward, I think. Yeah, definitely. So from there, you moved to Pennsylvania and you mentioned West York area. Um, you became the athletic director there. And then you also ended up being the head baseball coach. Can you get into how that all happened? Yeah, just like everything else. It's kind of a, a funny <laughs> story. I, uh, I, I got hired uh, and I started August 11th, ironically, right before the school year, about two weeks and about three days before fall sports started. And one of my first jobs was to hire the baseball coach. Uh, previously, they had had a coach that was there 28 years, uh, just a great, great dedicated man. But, you know, he had moved on. And so uh, we had hired a baseball coach. Um, it was kind of bittersweet because here I am coming from, you know, a coaching career and, and had some success down in Baltimore. And but it, it worked out. Um, so my first year uh, he was there. My second year, um, we usually start sports on the. Uh, first week of March and the second day of practice, um, he sh we were indoors because here it's in this region, it's cold in the, using the first week or two. He uh, came in uh, before the second day of practice and said, uh, can we have a meeting? And I said, coach, you're supposed to start in 10 minutes. He said, yeah, we need to talk. And I said, okay. And um, he worked um, with the United States government and came in and said, I've been transferred um, and I said, oh, great. Well, you know, congratulations. When do this, when does this start? And he said, tomorrow. And uh, it was one of those panic mode situations. And so I said, well, can you finish practice today? And we'll, we'll work from there. Lo and behold, uh, I contacted our superintendent and principal and said, hey, we got a, we got a, a big problem here. And so we sat down together and, and the superintendent said, well, you know, what is your recommendation? I said, well, you know, I can certainly fill in. Uh, we in, in Pennsylvania, you got to get individual school board approved, which only happens once a month. So in order to get someone approved, that wouldn't have happened till uh, April, midway through the season. And she said, would you be interested in just doing this year? And I said, well, 
yeah, if you're okay with it, uh, we have other sports that, you know, we're going to have to get game management help for. And so um, with the support of our superintendent and principal, I became the varsity head coach at West York. Um, it was, it was unique. Again, I, I knew a lot of the students cause I'd been there a couple of years, but um, they hadn't had much success in the program in uh, since 1991. And so um, being average was acceptable to them. So we finished the first year. Uh, we ended up going eight and nine, made it to districts, which is the next step uh, in our in our region here for playoffs. Uh, lost there. And in the end of season meeting or end of year meeting with the principal superintendent, they said, how did it go? And we talked about the pros and cons and we talked about uh, what the options were. And at that point, the superintendent said, listen, we'd, we'd like you to go another year. And of course, I was happy. Um, so we started, and this was where the, the culture change immediately went into effect. We started weightlifting, which was new to them, in July. And then that second year, uh, we ended up finishing 19 and 5, first, first time ever going to states. Uh, we ended up finished second in a district three playoffs. Um, I had five seniors that year that were incredible uh, leaders. They embraced exactly what we were doing. Um, and, and so that was year two, year three, we, we did okay. Uh, year four, uh, we had a very talented team, uh, a lot of solid leaders, a lot of great kids. Um, we ended up winning a state championship going 24 and four, first ever in school history. Year five, uh, we lost a lot of those guys and I'll never forget, we were, we were literally uh, 12 and seven at one point after a game. And, uh, Coach Sawinski said, everybody go to right field. You guys figure this out. I'm tired of the, the shenanigans and the, the fighting amongst yourselves. And lo and behold, um, they fixed it there. We went on a, uh, a nine and nine and one run and won our second state championship uh, in 2013. So we were back to back. And then our most talented teams athletically would have been the next two years, 14 and 15. And both years we finished, got knocked out in the first round of districts. And so, um, it was a it was an unbelievable run, uh, unbelievable community, um, and and what was really neat is I had some coaches, uh, our football coach and our boys basketball and girls basketball coach in particular, they took on some additional responsibilities which enabled me to stay coaching and doing what I love to do, and so it was a it was a fun ride, um, and then uh, you know I, I stepped aside uh, shortly after that and. Um, it was probably one of the hardest decisions I made, and, and, and professionally, I'm still struggling with the decision that I gave it up at that point, but um, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a, an entire community backing us. At times, we had an entire county backing us in, in what we did, and um, I, think we, I think we did some pretty good things. Well, it's pretty cool because the obviously, they didn't hire you to be the head coach. They hired you to be the athletic director. And like you mentioned, like a, sounds like a handful of things in your life that just kind of fell into your lap and was like, oh, okay, I, I can give this a try. And it obviously went extremely well. And then you you mentioned that you, I guess it would be like, what, 2015-ish, 2016, you you stepped down? I did. And, and what had ended up happening was I my son, who I, again, we moved to, uh, when, when he was our only child, we moved to Pennsylvania. He was two. He was going into high school. And so his eighth grade year, out of respect for him and hopefully to allow his personal growth to continue to develop and his baseball career to develop, I decided to step down. Um, the way it works in Pennsylvania is every school district is run independently. So 
uh, while we would be in the same league, it was, I didn't want him to feel that camaraderie and uh, living up to dad's uh, success or, or, you know, our team's success. And I felt that um, that was going to happen. And, you know, he was, he was on the ride, every single bus ride we went to districts or, or States, he was there with us. He got to be around some great kids, um, but I just wanted him to live his life and be on his own, so to say, with regards to baseball and not have to, not be compared to our teams. And so uh, I decided to step aside and, um, you know, walk away from the program at that time. So, yeah, I, I gave up the coaching and that's the last time, you know, I coached high school baseball was, uh, was back then. So. I think that's pretty cool. I, I know that for a lot of coaches, coaching their kid is really important. And I, as a coach, I've, I've seen it both, both ways. Um, I've definitely had players who uh, they needed their dad to not be around. Um, they just needed that freedom to become uh, their own person, I think. And for, mm-hmm. for a lot of student athletes, that's, that's, I think one of the really important things about high school is that, and nothing against dads who end up, end up coaching their kids. That's great and awesome and truly fantastic. But I think for a lot of student athletes, what high school sports offer is a chance to finally like make their own path because a lot of times up through eighth grade, their parents are super involved and maybe they're coaching the team or just really involved with the team or obviously driving them to all the practices and games and stuff. And over the course of, you know, your high school career, you eventually get your license. You're, you're the one responsible for getting to practice and from practice and knowing when it is and when the games are and what jerseys you're wearing that day and what hat to have and, and all of that, that, that goes into it. And I think that, being able to do that without a parent coaching can be a really extremely valuable experience for a kid. I agree. And I, and I, you know, I'll take it a step further. Some coaches can do it. Some coaches can wear that hat. Um, and not to say I couldn't, I just felt as though for his, his future, it was important to step away. Now I continued coaching him through summer and travel ball. Um, and so that bond was still there. Um, but, you know, it, to the point where when, when our son was younger, we actually got him started in soccer about five years earlier, maybe six, five years earlier than, than even baseball. And I didn't want him to live in my shadows and be compared to me. You know, I, I wanted him to live his own life. And um, fortunately, he's been able to pave that path for himself. But uh, I, I do believe it was important for, for me to, to walk away uh, and let him be with his coaches and let him seek that development and and what's crazy is i i I, this past week ironically he sent me a video he's he's in quarantine right now and he sent me a video of a bullpen that he was throwing uh because he he wanted some pointers and some tips and so um we're still at a point where he's he's 20 years old and still reaching out and and i'm not sure you know if i'd have been his only coach so to say before he went to college that we would be in this same situation so it's uh it was time. It was time to, to be a dad. Um, and it, and it was a really cool experience. Well, I think that's awesome that you had the, I don't know, the, the respect for him and the, I, I, to, to step away, you know, after winning state titles, it's obvious that the proof of concept had been proven at that point. Like you could, you could coach and the team could be successful. And so to step away, I think, um, showed a lot of, a lot of guts. Um, at the same time you were coaching, I guess that's about what seven years, and then also being the AD. How challenging was that? Because I know as a just a head coach of one sport, and that's all I have. That's a lot, <laughs> and then to be the athletic director on top of that, it seems almost insane to me. Well, I, I I can tell you we were a couple things. We had great kids, 
And so as an AD, I walk that line of when do we get in the gym for lifting or when can we go take BP or for a bullpen? So uh, fortunately, I think the success helped us a little bit. But, you know, in the winter months, when we would start in November, getting inside and, and swinging and uh, doing our bullpens, we, we had 5 a.m. workouts. So we would get there at 5 in the morning, 530 in the morning, because that's the only gym space we could get come in and, and they'd work till seven. And then I, you know, I was an AD, um, you know, during the day. Um, but that was in the off season during the season. I was just so blessed with, I had so many great coaches helping us. I had a couple and ironically they were parents um, that helped us out. And, and when I'd get called away at a lacrosse game or I'd get called away to go to a track meet or um, they, they took the saddles and ran with them and um, our kids respected them and everyone in the district knew my role. So it wasn't like I was, um, uh, you know, stepping aside just to go and, and be a babysitter at a, a lacrosse game. So parents knew it, kids knew it. Um, but again, there were some challenges that we faced because we had to go to different time slots. And, and our baseball field was about two and a half miles away from the high school campus. And we were the only sport other than swimming that was off site. So um, I would have to drive back to the school a lot of times. Um, what it meant was a little bit longer days because uh, obviously as a baseball coach, I'm sure you're similar we had to maintain our own field. Um, so we'd stay there late or we'd get there early or times I'd swing out during the day to, to manicure the field for a game. Uh, but yeah, it was challenging, but I, I just was the support system we had in place was incredible. And it may not work in all situations and settings, but in ours, it did. And again, I was just, I had volunteer coaches that, that really did everything they could to ensure that we didn't skip the beat when, when coach C wasn't there. And, you know, again, I got to deal with the kids all day in the building too. So, you know, I'd call my captains in maybe, you know, two o'clock and say, hey, listen, at practice, Coach C's got to do blank. And um, I'd say, I expect you guys to run it. And again, they, they had that respect where they, I, I, I think as a coach, I learned a long time ago, Max, that someone told me that, you know, when you can turn your back and walk away for 15 minutes and the kids stay in stride and they don't miss a beat, that's when you know you've reached them. And, you know, we had some points where I felt as though we, we were able to do that. And uh, we had more than one practice, I can tell you, where we did not have coaches there physically breathing down their necks that they went out and did it. And, you know, they set their goals and they, they did whatever they had to. But um, I, I did miss a lot of other sports. I will say that um, we had some success and you know, some track athletes some success on lacrosse that as an AD, I would have been at that I wasn't at. Um, but I, I, I tried to find ways to make up for it, you know, whether it be the announcements or calling the kids one on one down or. We're going to their banquets and speaking there. Um, but, yeah, there certainly were some challenges with it. And then on top of that, obviously, being a dad and a husband, which certainly is a, another big part of your life as well. So uh, during this whole time, obviously, you're married. You've got you've got children. And so it, it just to add that on top of it, it's, it's a huge amount of time. And I know there's going to be coaches listening who are trying to figure that out for themselves where they have families – they obviously want to be very present for their families because that's your family. Those are your people. You also have this role that you're trying to maintain, whether it's as a coach or an athletic director or whatever it might be. How did you find ways to, to make that all work, to be, to be present in both of those roles? Find an amazing wife who does everything for you and is supportive of what your future <laughs> is. And, uh, uh, no, I, you know, and ironically I had this exact conversation with coach Fortner yesterday. Uh, he and his wife were expecting and, so we spent about two hours just putting things into perspective. And I said to him, I said, you know, um, you can't get that time back. Make sure you find the balance between coaching, between being a husband, between being a, between being a father. And 
you know, I, I young at a younger age, younger coach C was, I was at school 24 seven and honest to goodness, my wife did an incredible job. Uh, my son was real young at that time. I missed a lot of his firsts and I can never get that back. But, um, you know, as he got older, uh, we, we involved him. Like my kids went again on the buses with me sometimes to our games, or um, I was able to step aside to go watch a soccer game. Or, you know, fortunately in this area, a lot of the youth sports when they're younger is on Saturdays and Sundays. So we would always have our baseball practice on Saturday, 8 to 9.30. We'd start, we'd go to breakfast uh, at the local diner. Uh, we'd eat from 7 to 7.45. We'd go out and take VP and hit our fungos and then we would have practice eight to nine 30. And then, then it was daddy day or, or, you know, husband day where I could be with my family. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully, uh, close that gap a little bit and, and be around for them. But, uh, no, there certainly were challenges. And for the younger coaches, you know, I just think it's finding that balance. You know, as I said to coach Bortner yesterday, you know what, like it or don't like it, baseball will be there. The kids will be there. They understand if you miss a practice one day because you want to go watch your son, that's more important and they get it. And I said, as long as you personally can in, embrace that um, and, and, and know that that's your primary role, then you'll be in a good place. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I say it every day. I'm, I'm just so blessed that, that I have a, a wife that did so many things that enabled me to, to be involved with our kids as an athletic director, as a coach, and then also be a dad. Um, she drives them everywhere. She still does. Actually, my second daughter just started driving, so it helps a little bit, but um I mean, honest to goodness, she's like a taxi and, and, and has been for the last uh, 15 years or so. <laughs> That's true. It is. It is. Being a parent is like having it. I remember my, my some of my closest friends growing up were it's a set of triplets. And uh, oh, my gosh, their mom was I mean, I think she pretty much lived in the car just driving those kids and us and all of us around from place to place all the time. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's really good advice too. And, you know, it's, uh, if you can, as kids grow up, if you can involve them, that's awesome. I think it does a lot for the high school kids to see that too, to see you in your role as a dad and then to also take on a, a role of being not a babysitter, but at practices and games, huh? having another, you know, having a little kid around, I think, I think it does a lot for those teenage boys or girls, whoever it might be. Well, and, and, and it wasn't done intentionally, but one of the things it did do is teach them a little bit about leadership skills and, you know, your typical teenager who might be goofing around at practice or talking about inappropriate things. When you've got a little kid there, that conversation is not taking place. And so, you know, one of the things that, that I enjoyed about it, and, and I invited all my coaches to bring their kids there. And again, most of them had kids in our program, but um, by having the younger kids around, they were able to put their arm around them, carry them there. And, you know, one of my favorite pictures that I still have of, of the, the 20 uh, 12 state championship is, is my son and I standing at the at Penn State University holding the trophy and he was just so excited to be there and be part of that that he kind of lived that with us and um, yeah it's it's been it, it's it's pretty cool to you know to have them around and, and be as involved as I was I was blessed to do so that's well, awesome. It's a good it, having somebody who's been through it is really good. I think not only for myself but other coaches to hear that there's there is a path forward through it. Um, now I, I do want to before we get, get off the line today, I do want to make sure we get into this other part of your life, which is uh, and people listening might think, well, this is he's just gone crazy. So you you've, you've you haven't coached baseball uh, at the high school level uh, since you're at West York. Now you're you know obviously. Uh, 
Justin AD, and I use the Justin quotation marks, of course. Uh, but you're also running kind of a travel ball organization as well. Uh, so can you get into that a little bit? Like, how did that start? And why did you start that? And how's it going? So, again, when I gave up coaching at the high school, uh, my son was entering high school, was entering, he was going to be a freshman. And uh, a local professional player who had played in the, in the minor leagues and, and made it pretty far up had opened his own indoor facility. And we became friends while I was coaching. And he invited my son to play in the organization and asked me if I could coach. And at that point, my son had only played in another travel organization. And I thought, you know what? I'm getting out of coaching high school. This is primarily in the spring and summer, uh, a little bit in the fall. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try it. And, and I had never gone the travel ball route, the pay-to-play route that, that um, gets such a negative rap, I'll say. And so I began coaching there with him. Uh, and initially it was, we'd start in, in indoors in November, December, we'd practice every Sunday and then we'd go to four or five tournaments a year. And it was just a great experience uh, for my son and me to be around him. And, you know, some of those hurdles as a dad, you face of, you know, when to push, when to pull back. I, I got the experiences firsthand in that first year or two. And then after the second year, the same individual uh, got tied into a larger organization very successful travel organization and said, um, you know, Roger, I, I think your son should, should join this, this other group. And I said, I, I just can't afford it. It's traveling around the country. Um, yada, yada, yada. Well, lo and behold, my son went down to Fort Myers and played in the, in the national uh, PG nationals and had just an unbelievable experience down there. And shortly after that, about two weeks after he got back, that coach had stepped down and the same individual from the local travel organization called me and said, hey, they're, they're looking for someone. Uh, would you be interested in doing their B team? And I said, you know what, uh, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And so I did it for a summer and a fall. Um, the negative to it was that it was kids from our region. So we'd have, and, and again, we're in the middle of PA. We'd have kids from New York, Delaware, uh, Ohio, Virginia, Maryland on our team. And so we weren't able to practice. Uh, it was one of those show up at a tournament. We play. We had a lot of success. I think we won uh, 68% of our, our games. Uh, 16 of our 19 kids ended up committing to a college from Division One to Division Three to JUCO. Um, it was rewarding in that sense. Um, it was became a full-time job as a recruiting coordinator, felt. But it just what was lacking is that that uh, basic instruction of the fundamentals, and so. Again, I went back to the local guy. His name's Jason Espito. I keep saying local guy. He's he just phenomenal human being that, that's done so much for kids. I went back to Jason. I said, like, it's missing. And um, at that point, he was still running his local one. I stepped down from the travel organization I was with. And I started talking to a buddy of mine that I'd coached against for, for seven years at West York. And I said, listen, I, I got to find a way to get involved in something where we're teaching the fundamentals of the game. I think they're lacking. The simple stuff like how to hit a cut, how to play catch, how to run the bases, uh, fundamentals of the swing, when to throw this pitch, where to throw this pitch, calling pitches. I just, I missed that. And in our county, I felt as though or feel as though that that's been lacking. And so with the, with another individual, we bought into the franchise of Baseball U Maryland and a pretty big organization in our area. They have teams in PA and New Jersey, Connecticut. Uh, so we have the Maryland group. Um, we just started uh a little over a year ago, well, November was a year ago. This would be our second uh, summer. And what we're doing is 
along with our practices of teaching fundamentals and you know the game through that, we've had a number of Zooms where we've brought in guest speakers. And so college coaches, I think we've had 12 or 13 college coaches on. We've had major league uh, pitching coaches on, major league hitting instructors on, strength and conditioning coaches on, leadership coaches on. We've had uh, financial aid officers from the college level, clearinghouse individuals. We've been able to do Zooms to hopefully educate our families. And, and while we're realistic enough to know not every kid's talented enough to go to the Division One or Two level, hopefully what we can do is provide an experience that we're setting them up for success for what the right fit is. And again, to me personally, that's more important than you know saying, hey, I went D2 or D1 or whatever that may be. Trying to find a school that academically, athletically, socially, emotionally allows that growth and opportunity to play while getting an education. Um, and so we don't know, you know, five years down the road how this looks, uh, but we're really excited about it now. Uh, my role is more of setting things up behind the scenes and then running the practices. And um, I, I can tell you, Max, it's been a really amazing start. Um, and we've, we've received some pretty good feedback. The other thing is um, the head coach or the other coach and I, uh, we don't take a penny, uh, so we, we volunteer our time. And, again, that enables us to keep the costs down or the prices down. And um, I, I think our parents respect and enjoy that. Um, and, again, it just it's one of those things that it's, it's my opportunity to give back to the sport that's just given me so much and uh, been able to get me in a lot of good situations personally and professionally. So that's where we're at with it. And, again, Baseball U Maryland is where we're coaching. Yeah, it sounds really good because you at the start of that, you mentioned travel ball and how it tends to get, uh, especially in the baseball communities, uh, for a lot of different reasons. It, it tends to get a lot of uh, negative negative press, I guess. Um, and some of the things you listed in there are kind of why. It's like, well, a lot of them charge so much money that only the really wealthy can afford it. Um, and then I think the biggest one, like you mentioned, is that it was – it's a lot of the ways it's set up. It's like, well, we're, we might practice once or twice, but otherwise we're just playing games, playing in these tournaments, you know, flying guys in from around the area, playing in a tournament and everybody goes home. And it's like, it's missing that instructional piece. It's missing that what you just mentioned as well. It's missing that um, real education on, on, is this a school? Is this a college that's a fit for you? Or does it just, it, it just have the D one next to it. And so it sounds like it's great. You know, and I think that's a part for for kids and families that takes a while to understand. And you need good people in your corner to help educate you on that and ask you those tough questions. Because otherwise what happens is, you know, a kid goes to a school that they think they're going to love because of the sport. And they get there and they realize this this is not what I thought I was signing up for. And that could be for a lot of different reasons. Um, And so just the, the fact that you're not getting paid for it, I think, immediately like increases the uh i don't know the allure of it because then it's it seems to be more affordable for people but yeah the educating kids on it and then having practices and going over the the fundamentals that a lot of organizations maybe don't go over and i don't i don't want to hit any specifics but it just i think it's i think it's the right um the right direction for for youth baseball and travel baseball to go well and and again uh, you know, I, I can tell you growing up where I grew we played Little League Baseball. We played uh, Minor League, Little League, Senior League, American Legion. And I can tell you the, the costs were nothing compared to what we yeah. we face nowadays. And I we're losing kids in this sport because they can't afford to play. And, you know, we have to, I believe, we if, if we're going to keep the sport going and growing, 
I think we need to find that balance and find a way to get all those kids and get some initiatives in place that uh, we don't lose kids today because of money. And, and I think, unfortunately, we're falling down that we're going down that path now and we got to find a way to change that, I believe. Yeah, I think you're dead on. I think the, the local leagues are uh, more and more kind of disappearing and it is it is becoming a cost prohibitive sport in a lot of different ways. And, and so other sports are following that as well. And it's becoming kind of a difficult Absolutely. endeavor for a lot of, a lot of parents to, if you're a parent of a kid who plays multiple sports and he's 10, 11, 12, uh, we're getting to the point where it's almost, you almost have to pick one, not because you want the kid to specialize in a sport, but because you're choosing to financially support one sport. And it just, it, it's, it's rough. It's not, it's not the way that we all grew up playing and it's, it, we should be trying to improve access for kids. And so anyway, I love, I love what you're talking about with travel ball. I think it's really awesome. Yeah. And, and, and again, for us, it's that mold. Um, I can tell you this as an athletic director, my goal is to have our, our kids multi-sport athletes. Um, but to your point, not everybody can afford to play, you know, a, a, whatever it costs to play summer, $2,000 summer ball, $2,000 AAU. Two, I mean, at some point you got to pick and choose. And, uh, you know, I, I, we just like to be an option out there for our families that, uh, they can stick with baseball or stick with the sport that we love. And um, hopefully it's rewarding down uh, at the end of the summer or, or fall or whatever that may be. Absolutely. I've, I've really enjoyed having you on Roger. I, like I said, I didn't know much about you. This was a true, like cold, cold intro. Like I, I, uh, Jesse Portner, who I also don't know, he reached out to me and just said, Hey, this, you got to have this guy on, like, he'd be great. Uh, and I, I totally agree uh, before I let you off, um, there's there's so much that we cover, but there's also so much that we can't get to, obviously. And I just wanted to give you the microphone and, and just let you finish this with whatever you want to say, whether it's advice to young coaches or old coaches or athletic directors or players or parents or maybe some topic we didn't cover or anything like that. Just hand the mic over to you and let you let you finish this thing. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, and Jesse is one of my former players. And ironically, yesterday he had his first inner squad. So I was able to go sit down and, and, you know, Jesse's like a, a son to, to my wife and I and watching him grow and develop and kind of take his own niche and his own path has been really cool. But um, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Um, I, I can tell you a couple things that I, I just jotted down as notes that for younger coaches, you know, enjoy the ride, um, enjoy that opportunity to get to affect lives positively and watch kids grow. Um, because not everybody's in this ministry or this profession that they get that um, opportunity. The other thing I'll, I'll say, kind of the takeaways that I've had going through my my uh, coaching and professional career is focus on the small details, um, having fun while coaching, teaching life skills, sit back and watch kids just be kids. Because I think we get caught up in today's society and, you know, they're not having fun. And, you know, that's one of the things that hopefully um, – we can do with our program and I can do as an athletic director as well. And then the final piece is find the ministry you love and embrace it and grow professionally in that ministry. Um, because that's where you, you enjoy life. And, and again, right now I'm in such a great place as a father, as a professional, as a coach that there's so many positives. I wake up every day and I'm just so blessed to be above ground. And, you know, I start my day with um, knowing that, you know, when I walk in that building of the school, I'm going to have an opportunity to positively, positively change lives every single day. And, and it may be a conversation, maybe just passing a kid in the hallway, um, but find that ministry that you just, you know, is for you, you love and you can grow in it um, because then it becomes very rewarding. Um, 
personally. So I, that's what I got. Well, it's really, it's refreshing getting to do this and talk to all these coaches and athletic directors and trainers and all these different people from across the country, because it really, like it's, um, you know, that, that student athletes are in, in the hands of some really good people who, um, and I think it's one of the common themes who just are really focused on relationships and helping young people grow. And, uh, you're, you've obviously dedicated a huge part of your life to that. And so thank you for doing that. And then also thank you for coming on the show and, and letting us uh, learn a little bit about you. Absolutely. And I'm certainly here. If, if I can help anyone, feel free to reach out. Absolutely loved having Roger on the show. Thank you so much to Mr. Zawinski for sharing so much wisdom with us. And he's yet just another example of the amazing individuals that make up the high school sports scene. Once again, if you haven't joined the club as a free member yet, do it. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll become a member of the premier national organization of high school coaches, athletic directors, and so many more. Plus, you'll get the weekly newsletter delivered right to your inbox every single Wednesday. You can find that link down in the show notes. Don't forget to leave a rating, maybe even a review. And if you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that person is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email. That's max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for everything that you do for high school athletes. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.